56th episode of the Opvac Cast, the premier podcast for OptimismVaccine.com. Joining me today, I got Jake Trapila. Hey, good evening, Steve. How are you doing? I- I'm doing pretty good, all things considered. You know, excellent. I, I got a new kitten. He is adorable and kitten. fluffy. Uh, he's the-, the darling of Snapchat right now, so pretty big deal. <laughs> and I'm nice. going to exploit him for his cuteness and get rich on the internet. That's the plan presently. Sounds worth it. Yeah. Uh, I also got Sean Gladys with me. Hi. Hey, Hi, Sean. guys. We're, uh, we're running a skeleton crew today. Just, uh, you know, the three most important yeah. people. Although Adam the boss Myros, of the cast reunited. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Adam Myros no, had a birthday shackle. recently, so he's probably still off partying, I'd imagine. I think his mom took him to Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> uh, he got the extra hot. And you know, blazing. got those got those blazing wings. And after he crushes fifty blazed up wings, he's just he's got to take some time to reflect and just you know kind of a little little bit of me time for Myra. So that's and re- cool. And recover from his massive heartburn. Yeah, you know. Uh, I you know what a funny story about uh, Buffalo Wild Wings. If I can interject, go right ahead. Sure. Uh, in my wild college years. Uh, Uh-oh. me and, uh, uh, friend and listener of the program, um, my roommate at the time, uh, we used to go to, um, Buffalo Wild Wings every Tuesday to get, you know, they had like the wing specials uh, on mm-hmm. Tuesday. It was like what, whatever it was, like 50 cent wings or 30 cent wings back then or something like that. We used to get, uh, 30 wings. So like 15 wings each. And then afterwards, we would go right next door. This is in Kalamazoo, and there's this donut shop, Sweetwater Donuts. And we would get a half dozen donuts that we would split between us. Um, and I, most of the time, we would both eat that, that our three respective donuts throughout the day, in addition to the 15 wings. That's appalling. That's, that's so much food. And that's, yeah. I mean, and Sweetwater Donuts are great, don't get me wrong, but that seems like an inordinate amount of, of Buffalo Wild Wings. That means you went to, to Buffalo Wild Wings four times a month? Uh, usually. I think every now and then we'd miss a week, but most of the time it was every week. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, that, that's just like uh, – it's crazy to me to think that I could do that and not think twice about it at one point in my life. Yeah, it sounds when like was it. the last time you had Buffalo Wild Wings? Uh, it's been a while, as, uh... As, as stained one said. As stained one said. Uh, I, I have wings regularly, but I haven't been there probably in, like, three or four years. Uh, yuppie-ass mm. Sean, too cool for Buffalo Wild Wings. No, I'm not. I just got, I, no, I got nobody to go to, to Buffalo Wild Wings with me. Man, that's, that's what your dating profile should say. Just that sentence, nothing else. <laughs> Yeah, I, I there was a um, there was a guy that I used to work with when I did uh, when I was a social worker, and we there would be like a common space where you'd have like sort of your clients like children like playing around, and this guy that I used to work with he was real like beefhead, um, and he I remember him saying one time he was talking about his girl problems and he goes, 
I just want a girl that I can go to the gym with. And wow. that's me, wow. but with Buffalo Wild Wings. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. I saw Buffalo Wild Wings as more of a cry for help, but maybe, I, maybe I'm coming no. at this the wrong way. You know, and the other thing, so for Myros's birthday, in addition to his love of Buffalo Wild Wings, um, I wanted to get him something really special this year. He's, you know, 33 years old. It's a, it's a big milestone for literally no one, but let's pretend like it's a big milestone. So I was trying to find the perfect gift, and I kind of dropped the ball on A this Larry one. Bird jersey. Not a Larry Bird jersey. I found a website where you can mail someone a live scorpion. <laughs> and so my plan my plan was to to is to mail Myros a live scorpion. But the problem is is it's deceptive. It's it's total bullshit cuz this isn't like an Amazon thing where you can just get the prime shipping or whatever. It's 14.99 for the live scorpion, which by the way, it's like some sort of black Asian scorpion and they're huge. They're gigantic, which is awesome. But the shipping costs like $45 to ship the damn thing. Oh, Jesus. So it's a total ripoff. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, and, and I went to a couple different websites looking for live scorpions, and uh, all these places are the same. They all operate the same way, where it's just like, oh, yeah, here's a live scorpion for less than $20, and then, boom, they slap you with that shipping. So, unfortunately, I didn't get to send Myros a box full of scorpions, as I had hoped to. Uh, one no. for each year that he was alive, so just 32 live scorpions in a box for him. Uh, but there's always next year, so just keep yeah. your eyes peeled. And uh, anyone who's listening out there, um, if if you know me, you might get a live scorpion at some point. In fact, if I won Powerball tomorrow, I would probably use all my winnings to send scorpions to people. I can't think of a better <laughs> we way. We should start a GoFundMe. Yeah, why don't we do that? Why, that's what I should have I should have just crowdsourced this whole thing. Like, just set up a secret like GoFundMe and be like, let's send Myra scorpions. I would have thrown in 20 quid. See, there we go. What's, what's, the, what's the Irish currency? Jack can throw in whatever that is. Lucky Charm. Uh, it's, like, it's like sand pebbles or something. <laughs> do, they, do they still use potatoes as their primary currency? I can't remember. Anyway. Either potatoes or alcohol. Something like that. Maybe, maybe potato-based alcohol. So, barley. <laughs> anyways. Uh, Probably use the euro, I guess. Yeah, that's true. They use the euro. Did you guys hear that, that uh, about the new uh, Jack Eason biopic coming to Netflix? No, no. Tell What's me more. We yeah, uh, uh, Robert De Niro. Oh, oh, the Irishman. Yeah, Dirty now, Grandpa too. Oh, okay. Yeah, I thought. Yeah, that, where does that fit in? Is that is that part of the Dirty Grandpa extended universe or mm-hmm. no? Okay. Yeah, I, I was I wasn't sure. I don't know, but Robert De Niro has a movie coming out. It's something Grandpa, but it's completely unrelated to Dirty Grandpa. But he's playing somebody's grandpa again. I don't know anything else about it. But we we don't know his level of like dirtiness or cleanliness at this point. Yeah. Correct. I think he's like facing off against his grandson. Well, I mean, he did that previously. That's why he's a grandpa. But it's like a child this time. It's not oh college-aged Zac Efron. Why do I feel like that's the plot to every movie I don't want to see? Like, how many are... It's like, old person against young person in a battle of wits. Whoa. Like, that, that's, that's the plot of way too many movies. I can't deal with that. Uh... Well, speaking of movies, ooh, segue. Um, <laughs> this is a movie podcast, uh, and sometimes we talk about them. And today, I want to ask uh, at the top. I want to ask ja- Jake Tropila a question. 
Yes, sir. Go ahead. If that's it's okay called, with our host. Uh, Dude, Police Academy 5, Citizens on Patrol, is the best Police Academy movie. Like, you can just stop <laughs> asking that question to Jake. He's um, never going to be any different. The, the movie's called The War with Grandpa, by the way. Oh. <laughs> War with Grandpa, WWG. Yeah. Um, no, so uh, Jake and I both uh, recently watched Paddington and Paddington 2, as has most of the country. The country has caught Paddington fever. Because uh, no one's seen it. I wanted to, uh, Jake and I have not had a discussion about this off air, and so I kind of wanted to, like, see what you thought and how that jibes with uh, sort of the, the the opinion at large. Because I believe Paddington 2 uh, has become, what what is it, like, the most recent movie to be, like, the highest rated thing on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever? Yeah, it's the best-reviewed movie on Rotten Tomatoes with, uh, I think, 165 reviews, at, leaving it at 100% or something like that. Leaving the door wide open for some yeah. troll, some edgelord to come in with the negative yeah. review. That's true. Maybe, but, um, yeah, Paddington. So um, I remember the time when the first one came out, which I guess was 2015, and uh, it again, like kind of like Paddington Two, it just received all this uh, critical acclaim, and it was this like family film that everyone loved, and nobody could really find any faults with it. But I just, for whatever reason, never got around to seeing it. Um, so I watched it on Netflix to prepare for Paddington Two, and um, I thought it was fine. Um, I'd say it's more of a good movie than a great movie. Uh, I mean, it's very, it's obviously very charming, um, but I think a lot of it kind of dips its toe into this, like, slapsticky humor to really appeal to the kids in the back. Um, but uh, I, I don't know. I thought it, it's just kind of more of a gentle, soulful, honest film. If I had kids, I probably would have taken them to see it. What did you think, Sean? Yeah, I I uh, had heard, like, a lot of good things, and... Um like you and I was visiting my brother recently who has a couple five-year-olds and uh they don't they don't watch a lot of stuff together so when they do it's pretty deliberate um and I asked my brother if he had seen it just off chance and he's like yeah I've seen it three times um I was like oh okay he's like yeah it's it's pretty good uh which is kind of high praise for him like if if he's if if he's tolerant or you know tolerant of something that's not really in his market um so I uh, watched it just to see what see what all the fuss was about because the second one was in cinemas and the first one was was on Netflix. Um, and I I really liked it. Um, it, even going into it with certain expectations, I think it sort of exceeded on some level. Um, mm. just because like it, it has this really great setup. Uh, Steve, do you know much about Paddington? No, the only thing I know about it and. I'm I'm tempted to go and see it just so I can maybe help make him shut up. David Elrich won't stop talking about it on Twitter, and I and I kind of want to strangle him. Uh, so that's that's basically all I know is that David Elrich just he loves the CGI bear and Ehrlich, you know, Ehrlich, Elrich, Ehrlich. How do you say his name? I don't even fucking know. I believe it's, it's Ehrlich. Whatever. Ehrlich. It doesn't make a difference. The Here's what, is, Steve. First yeah. of all, log into Twitter. Yeah. Unfollow David Ehrlich. Watch your life improve. Listen, I, I fundamentally, need, I need his nuclear hot takes to just improve my life. Like that's otherwise, what am I going to get angry at every day? Uh, I've got nothing. Well, maybe he'll I, be the. I, yeah. Sorry, go ahead, Sean. 
his uh, he he's um his praise of it is what I would call overstated. But um, the oh, first Biden. one that's putting in mind. Yeah, uh, the first one has this great setup. It's about this family who like finds this bear, and and it's it's basically like sort of um, uh, the word allegory is overused a lot, but it, but it's basically like a fairy tale child like story about immigration and being kind and being more caring than you need to be uh, of people in need, including those people like like immigrants who uh, are having trouble finding their way and. Are existing in a society that doesn't really want them there, um, and I think it does some really uh, interesting, like pretty powerful stuff towards the end. Like the the wrap up, I think has some really powerful ideas uh, in the way that Paddington sort of like fights to preserve his identity, um, and uh, there's some other stuff in there. But uh, it it has this. I, I walked away from the first one with a problem with um, sort of the Nicole Kidman character. She plays the villain, and she kind of like is like spearheading this this campaign to get uh, Paddington out because he doesn't belong. And um, it, it plays up really sort of like uh, cartoonish, and uh, which is fine, but um, it, it sucks because it just treats uh, her like this face of evil, this like sort of singular face of evil. And then once you, once you pass, once you uh, exceed that, once you get rid of that force of evil, you're sort of like safe. And, um, that sort of, uh, uh, that, that undermines the, the idea of like, sort of like helping people or it, it undermines the idea that, that these people are still living in a society that doesn't want them in a broader, uh, picture, you know, it doesn't want them to be there. And, uh, so it's sort of like displacing all of that onto one person it is, um, I, I, it just doesn't work that well for me. But uh, so I was yeah. hoping with the second one to have those problems, have those issues be wiped away because everyone was like Paddington Two is better, and so I was really excited. Um, and Hugh Grant comes in as the the heavy in Paddington Two, and um, like it, it, like I can't say anything's bad about like their performances or anything like that, but it just still like undermines the whole idea, and I I I don't understand what what. Because the people that I've heard talk about how great it is, like, recognize what the movie's doing and yet are still okay with um, putting this idea of evil on one singular face, which, again, sort of undermines this idea. And you can still have a child's film and have it be that mature, you know? Like, like kids can understand a bear like they can understand the basic dynamic of a bear uh, in this place where for some reason or another, people don't, uh, some of the people don't want them there. And so a community comes together to sort of like help him. That can be sort of an ongoing thing. And um, I almost wish I, I walked out, out of Paddington too, almost wishing it was a TV show, this episodic thing where, um, where they could, where it was just about Paddington living in this neighborhood that is like slowly learning to accept him and, and stick up for him instead of like uh sort of like being prone to the 3x structure where they have to you know resolve things yeah and one of the things i kind of liked about the about the films is that they they accept that this is just a, a talking sentient bear um yeah. they like like when they first meet him at the paddington station in the first movie 
Um, they, they they treat him like, uh, or the father rather, uh, Hugh Bonville tra- treats him just like, uh, oh, just just leave him alone, kids. It's just a bear. Like like the sight of a bear inside of a train station is not uh, bothersome to anyone. Just they're more mm-hmm. concerned with the fact that he's homeless and not that he's a wild animal who shouldn't be where he uh, <laughs> where he is. But um, I think uh, as far as the sequel goes, I I thought it was really much a big improvement. Not necessarily because of of how it explores the you know the themes of this individual um, trying to maintain his identity in the world, but also I think it's just a, a funnier, tighter, tightly scripted film. Um, there's a lot of like visuals in it that I think are really nice, but um, part of that mm-hmm. maybe because I was kind of reminded of uh, a lot of the prison sequences reminded me of the Grand Budapest Hotel, which is yeah, absolutely. Really uh, really, even in the first one, there's yeah, a couple well, Wes Anderson stuff. Yeah, like the the house is like all shot in like this. Um, uh, I I'm blanking on the name. The the oh, fuck. What's it? What's it called? It's like uh, it's like the, the, the not no. The no, the house is like like all the walls are. It just goes. Oh, uh, there's like murals and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and but yeah. This, so this one, like the director, very much has like yeah, Wes Anderson is very much a heavy influence. Um, but I don't know. I thought it was a. I thought as far as the kids' movies go, I wasn't bored with it, and I thought it was a very rousing adventure film. For uh, sure, about a bear trying to break from prison. Yeah, I think the prison stuff is in in the second one is definitely the best part. Like. Uh, because it it is it is less about cross section. Uh, that was the word I was looking for. Uh, oh, okay. Sorry. Uh, Go ahead. <laughs> um, you know, the, the stuff in prison is uh, definitely my favorite my favorite stuff from the second one, and some of my favorite stuff from from either. Uh, just because it 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 is about these people who are in this place that has condemned them as uh, villains to for in society or whatever. You want to call them, you know, bad people, um, but that the, the movie sort of like doesn't care about that, and it's it's more about these people finding common ground and finding community with each other, and just finding a way to to help each other. I mean, there are some nuances in there too, but um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. That stuff was cool. Yeah, and I guess the, overall the message of the Paddington movies is all you need uh, to melt away a bad heart is just a marmalade sandwich. Yeah. Well, oh, I mean, uh, without getting too far in the weeds, some of the stuff, I mean, it's, the point to me is that, like, if you work hard enough, you can find good in people. And, you know, sometimes that takes more work than others. But um, apparently you can't because of Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman. So, I don't know, that stuff just kind of undermines it. But, yeah, there's uh, a few, anyway. a few <laughs> rotten apples in the world, essentially. But Hey, guys, yeah. you know what's better than Paddington? What's that, Steve? The movie that I saw this weekend, The Commuter. That's not true oh. at all. Don't don't ah. see The Commuter. Jesus Christ! Did I, I saw The Commuter? I, I'm sorry. It was. I, I okay. So, at this point, like Liam Neeson is basically late career Charles Bronson, where he's just churning right. out the same movies over and over again. Except where Charles Bronson films often dealt in overt racism. I feel like right. Like the Liam Neeson ones are. Are, are more with this like blue lives matter like soft nationalism patriotism thing going on and there's a yeah. lot of weird shit going on in the commuter that sort of rubbed me the wrong way especially because on its surface it's such a dumb movie but it has this like 
moralistic underbelly to it that just does not jive with me. Where the whole message of the movie is, damn it, there's some good cops out there, and if you just <laughs> always do the right thing, things will turn out the way they're supposed to. Uh, yeah, was, I mean, it was weird. The sta- like, I like the the opening stakes that, like, you know, he lost his job, and and for a second, I actually I saw this with Myros, and I said I said to him, uh, I I was hoping it was going to take a timeout uh, turn, oh, yeah. like the uh, what was that Swedish movie or whatever French mm-hmm. movie. Um, from the 2000s, uh, where a guy is just like, he, no, time out. <laughs> oh. Yeah. The, uh, despite common uh, knowledge, there were more than one foreign movies made in the late 90s. Uh, um, but no, uh, anyway, in time out, uh, it's about a guy who loses his job and lies to his wife um, about it for a very long time. And, uh, it's really interesting, sort of like economic um, exploration within a genre movie. Flintstones also did this in an episode, uh, but um, but I was hoping it went there, but it didn't. But I mean, still had good stakes. But honestly, I couldn't really care about this movie outside of like Vera Farmiga, who I thought was really good and and is usually underused. But I dozed off at some point, and I don't think I missed anything at all. No, you really didn't. And another, the other thing that I'll say about The Commuter is, well, I mean, one, if you've seen Taken or you've seen Nonstop or if you've seen any any uh, movie of that ilk in the last like, <laughs> decade, you've seen Run this movie. Night. You know exactly what this is. So whether you see it or not, if you like those movies, maybe you'll like this. But if you don't, it's, it's probably not worth your time. It's not going to change your mind on any of this stuff. And, yeah, it was just... I don't know. It's such a such a bizarre. Well, it's weird. Film. It's weird because critics, uh, a lot of critics, were um, really into it, um, and uh, uh, yeah, like I, I read a lot of like really high praise for for the for the film and for uh, the director's work. And um, I don't know. I just couldn't get into it. I, I'm I'm happy for those that could, but I thought Nonstop was uh, a lot more fun. Sure. This well, well, this is this guy's like third film that he's done with Liam Neeson. I think you just named yeah. the other two, Steve. Yeah. Run all night and nonstop. Yeah. Nonstop, yeah, and unknown. He's done four oh, of these. Yeah. And they're yeah. all pretty much the same movie. And the the one thing that is special about the commuter is it falls into my new sub my new favorite subgenre of films. Which is movies where detached screenwriter doesn't realize that student loans are a thing that exists. This is what happens <laughs> when rich people write fucking screenplays. This is because I saw this is also something no one should ever do. I saw The House, and that movie's entire premise is based on the fact that uh, they can't get, you know, they don't have enough money to send their little girl to college. Motherfucker, get a loan. And, and same thing with this. He says, I don't know how we're going to pay for my son's first. Semester at Syracuse. Get get student aid. It exists. This should not be a plot point. There's plenty of things. Like, there could be medical issues. There could be all kinds of things that make you go, oh, my God, I'll do anything for money and kind of set up the whole thrust of the narrative. But it it leans on this ridiculous premise that apparently you can't get a loan to go to Syracuse. That reminds me of, uh, did anybody ever see that movie, The Company Man? Ben Affleck? I did it's not. just like uh, is that with like Ben Affleck and uh, Chris Cooper and Tommy Lee Jones and all them. Yeah, it's um, I, I want to say late two thousands, might be like a, like 
11, but um, it's uh, 2010. But uh, it's funny because there's a scene in there. Uh, it's about, you know, it's when all these, like, um, these movies about the financial collapse were coming out, you know, like, up in the air. Um, and yeah. about, like, this anxiety uh, after the recession. Um or during the recession, but the the company man, there's a scene. There's like this heavy-handed, like the sad point in that movie is when um, uh, Ben Affleck has to watch his Porsche being towed because he had to sell it. <laughs> really? Yeah. Wow. That's 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 the sad thing about the company man is that uh, um, he still has like this humongous house, but uh, the day that he has to give away his toy his Porsche 911 or whatever and watch it got the yard. We're supposed to like sympathize with him. And yeah, it's kind of like what Steve was saying about student loans is like, stop letting so many rich people get like, get these things through the gate. Like, I I don't know. It's just an obvious barometer of who's writing these things. Yeah. Seriously. It's like space aliens who are completely detached from normal society are the people that are writing these things and no one's (laughs) calling them on their shit. (laughs) Yeah. If you want a real treat, look up the cover art for the Company Man Blu-ray. Those are some nice Photoshop work on those faces. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, Sean, one more thing before we, we kind of jump into the meat of this podcast. Uh, just real quick, and I'm sure we're going to talk about this more when we do our Oscar omnibus uh, episode. You saw you saw the Phantom Thread, what, just now? Like a, a, an hour ago or yeah. something? Yeah. Uh, yep, I got out uh, an hour ago of Phantom Thread, which is the only movie I can remember to have uh, a title card at the beginning and end. Mm. That's, I mean, that's glowing praise. Have, what I really want to know, you though, seen Sean, it? Have you seen it, Steve? No, I haven't seen it. Uh, I, okay. But I want to know, how does it stack up to the other Star Wars prequels? <laughs> uh, they resolved the embargo. Um, oh, yeah, r- right around hour three, and then it really starts getting, you know, it, it starts cooking. Good. Um, Love those pot But races. most of the rest of it is just about them uh, making the outfits for the uh, the menaces. <laughs> um, but for real, do you want to know how the movie was? Yeah, I just want to know if I should bother seeing it or not, or should I just wait and? Oh, uh, you absolutely should absolutely see it. Should see it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm. I voiced my opinion on 55, the last episode, uh, the Sammy Hagar episode, um, as uh, uh, on There Will Be Blood and sort of like how Paul Thomas Anderson has, hasn't really connected with me like um, in a long time or, um, yeah, on, on a deeper level. And this one did, I, I think, um, I said off air that I, I think it's like the, his least oblique movie in a long time. Where it's just kind of like you, I was with it the whole time, and there's there's a good emotional payoff, and uh, there's just there's some pretty delicious stuff, and it's just like really, really beautiful to to look at, and um, it's just sort of like this tete a tete for the entire two hours between these two actors, and um, I, I I think I think it's it's definitely worth seeing. Um, it might be my favorite Paul Thomas Anderson movie. Take that for what you will. That's not like a huge statement for me, but. Yeah. <laughs> well, shit. I will definitely go and see it for sure. Um, and if you can try to see it in seventy millimeter. Ooh. I don't know if any location near you would happen to have that, but it is. Hey, we don't all live stunning. in L.A. Yeah. Stunning to look at. Sunny I, Los I, Angeles. 
think a uh, good friend Jack in Chicago would agree with me. Well, listen, guys, right I'm I'm kind of I'm actually not going to go and see it because I don't know if you read, but uh, there was an article on Film School <laughs> Rejects, and uh, going to the movies is just it's over, man. It's over. The movie theater experience <laughs> has been destroyed. Uh, theaters don't care anymore, and and just no one cares about you. So we, the people, have to, according to Film School Rejects, we have to band together to save movie theaters. I don't know if you guys are aware. Well, of that. the first step is to admit we're all part of the problem. Yeah, that's that's the first step. <laughs> so, what are some of these issues that uh, Film School Rejects has with movie theater patrons? I'm I'm going to tell you guys because this this is a, a fucking doozy. This, this is one of the dumbest things I've read in, in quite a long time. Shout out to Chris. Have you read Campbell. this, Jake? <laughs> This uh, is, oh yeah, I read this. It's okay. It is a <laughs> but lay it on me, Steve. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna lay it on you so then people don't have to actually click on this article. Uh, I'm I'm just gonna read you this paragraph. Uh, well, it starts off with, "Have you heard? Going to the movies is a pain. Theaters just don't care anymore. Letting inexperienced teens handle projection and patrons use their phones throughout the show. Everyone else is munching and crunching too loud, or talking, or otherwise being distracting and discourteous. What do they think? They're in their living room. Yeah." All this is old news going you, back decades, it, but is it getting worse? <laughs> this is the premise, and this is my favorite part. Okay, so here he, he continues. And are fans growing less eager to go to the movies? As shown by Box Office Mojo pointed out, and also pointed out by Slash Film and other outlets, ticket sales were the lowest in 2017 that they've been in 25 years. Okay, so now you have it like a legitimate premise. Sure, why is that? But instead of examining that idea that these <laughs> ticket sales are the lowest they've been uh, in 25 years, this is the next sentence. This is the next thing that he says. He goes, of course, it's worth noting that attendance has still been slightly up compared to the years before 1992, with sales generally flatlining since the 1960s. So it's like sales are down, but not really. It's all just fucking marginalized bullshit uh so yeah. yeah and this is also like extremely deterministic uh like on the premise right like uh maybe there are other financial reasons <laughs> like maybe maybe, maybe issues a lot people, bigger <laughs> maybe just because people aren't going it's not like a one-to-one ratio of whether they want to go or not yeah there's a, there's a lot there's a lot of things that feed into this none of which he addresses it all. It actually it yeah. reminds me of a headline that I read. I think it was last month, and uh, I think it, it was I think it was in Florida, but it was like the headline was like "Man tries to rob hot dog stand, shoots himself in penis." Like that's that's what this article is. This is man shooting himself Christ. in penis. <laughs> uh, let's go through some of the solutions. So he lost here, his wiener. You're saying? Yeah. Well, I mean. <laughs> He, he, tried, he tried to do something, like, edgy, and he just shot himself in the cock. So what can we do to save theaters? That's, that's the question that our, our good friend Christopher asks us to do. So he's, so he's got some I don't know, but let me just say, I'd go even further. I'd say movies haven't been a hit since the Great Depression. Hey, there we <laughs> go. That's, I mean, that's something you could definitely argue. Uh, yeah. So then, yeah. His, his first suggestion, so that we, we the people can save movie theaters. This is on us. It has nothing to do with anyone else. It's solely on the page. Number one, buy concessions. Let's get the most easily contentious idea out of the way. Movie theaters are not quite in the business of exhibiting movies. Not anymore. They sell food. They make their money off of overpriced popcorn, soda, and candy... 
uh, or more common. Now they're basically a restaurant that also projects films. By the way, that's a horrible sentence. The structure is fucking shit. If you want to support movie theaters, you have to buy their wares. If you don't, they'll just keep raising prices for tickets and food to make up the difference. So buy your fucking $12 popcorn. That's the only way to do it. you got to buy your $12 bucket of popcorn from AMC or else Steve, uh, you can't save the theater. I have a question for you, Steve. Sure. Has any problem in capitalism not been solved by adhering to market standards? You know, that's a great question, Sean. And the answer is, uh, yeah, of course, that's how you solve all problems. You look at the system and you say, well, there's a, there's, I have an issue here, but the system is perfect, so I will continue to support it even more <laughs> in order to fix the broken system. That's, that's the solution. Uh, thank you for that. And then, and then I, I love number two here on his list. Hold on one second. This is a solution, number one solution to restoring faith in movie theaters or whatever, this author posits that we need to buy more concessions. Didn't he just say something about people munching <laughs> crunch in the first, in the prologue? I'm glad you brought that up, Jake, because that's exactly correct. Or maybe, uh, additionally, if people are finding it too expensive to show up at the movies, now they have the added pressure to not only pay for movies, but pay for these expensive concessions. Yeah. Uh, it's... Oh God! So we we get we get to number two, and number two is actually the just, it's just number one again. <laughs> so I mean, number two might as well be you know what? In, in addition to buying concessions, also buy concessions. Number two is don't bring in outside food. <laughs> and he goes on to say, if you don't like the food offered at a theater, fine, don't buy it. Wait, what? Didn't you just tell me to buy it? I, I'm confused. Uh, but, don't, um. but don't bring in outside food and drinks instead. Don't do it because you prefer something else. Don't do it because it's cheaper to get candy at the drugstore. Don't do it for any reason other than genuine medical necessity. Mm. I bring in I bring in an EpiPen, yeah. and uh, I I that's the only reason I would ever eat an EpiPen is uh, if I was medically. Uh, prescribed it. I got all this Wonder Bread that I bought back in September, and I just bring in a big old green loaf and just suck the penicillin right off of it. That's how I spend my movie theater watching. Uh, I have a question. Yes. Um, <clears throat> do you guys bring in outside food, one? And two, um, have you ever had a problem uh, in a, like more of like a social thing uh, with other people bringing in outside food? Absolutely not. I have no problem with that whatsoever. I have so here's what I used to do when I was in high school. I I owned a pair of cargo pants, as many a 16 year old did in the uh, early 2000s, late 90s, whatever. And there was a Michigan burger chain called Hot and Now, which you can look oh, yeah. on Wikipedia if you're not a Michigan resident. Uh, the most notable fact is at one point it was voted the worst fast food chain in America, which is bullshit. It was delicious. And <laughs> it's basically White Castle. One of the one of the last like two or three hot nows in the country was actually in my hometown, so it was very special to me. But they had this thing called a family pack, and for ten dollars, you got ten cheeseburgers and five fries, which is an insane deal. So mm-hmm. what I would do is I would buy a family pack and I would stuff my pants full of cheeseburgers and French fries, and then I would go into the movies. Uh, it's called being economical. I mean, what's, uh-huh. Do I want to pay $10 for a bucket of popcorn, or do I want to stuff my pants with cheeseburgers? The solution is simple. I mean, th- th- there's no arguing. Of course I want to stuff my pants with cheeseburgers. And I don't fault anyone for doing that. Jake, yeah, how, how about the you? Only, the, only, 
the only time I've had a problem with people bringing in outside food was at like a midnight showing of, I don't remember, it might have been like a Matrix movie or Lord of the Rings or The Watchmen, I don't remember, but somebody brought in Taco Bell, which like I don't have a problem ideologically with, but it just smelled so bad. Uh, but no, I love like when people bring in soda cans and they have they like try to find the most the, the loudest point <laughs> to open it. <laughs> uh, I got a story about that. I went to see a movie with two friends and um, we didn't bring in any concessions as far as uh, we were concerned. And uh, we're sitting there watching the trailers for the movie. And I was in the middle and the guy to my right pulls out a can from his pocket and he cracked it open. And the guy to my left looked over and said, did you bring a beer? <laughs> like he I, I, I was at a I went to a midnight showing of one of the Twilight movies and um, some some guy that I, I knew like an acquaintance of mine also was there um, like with his girlfriend or something and he snuck in a 12 pack of Bud Light wow how did he get that in it was winter I believe and he just put it under his coat but uh, yeah. I remember leaving the theater uh, seeing like uh, an empty 12 pack under under his seat. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. I ge- I generally don't have any issue bringing in outside food. Um, in fact, I almost encourage it. But I mean, it, it just depends on the situation. Like if I'm with a group of people, yeah, I'm sure we'll sneak in like some In and Out burger or something. But like if I'm if I'm walking up to like a movie theater by myself, I'm not just going to go to some art house with a bag of Chipotle <laughs> and say, no. Yeah, can I get one for a ghost story, please? And go inside. Munch on my burrito bowl. <laughs> I mean, when I saw a ghost story, I wish I would have had Chipotle. But oh yeah. my god! I just, so, <laughs> I just just uh, just want to mention here. Um, while you're reading this article, Steve, I went to the article and I looked up the author on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, here's the first two lines of his bio: I love movies. I just don't like a lot of them. What? <laughs> this this fair guy, point. What a special yeah. boy! I, I love this. Then man. he said, "Yeah." He says writer and editor a reject nation and stuff, and then his last part is documentary guy. I think he used to be a manager. I think he says someone here is like a former manager or something like that. And um, that is the uh, only person who could have written this is a former right, manager of a movie exactly. theater, and that's me as a former manager of a movie theater saying so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I worked in a the theater. Uh, the only reason why I cared about people bringing in outside food is because it was like a game that like spiced up our day to try and like find it. Like we didn't, we had no issue. It was just like how to make our jobs more exciting was to like oh. see if somebody brought in like some stuff in their purse or whatever, or sure. like if you could read it on it. Oh my God. Yeah, Sean. No, the thrill of catching people doing stuff wrong <laughs> in a movie theater was in- immense. <laughs> is, that, mm-hmm. is that how you guys get your kicks? I had yeah. a uh I had a manager who one time um he suspected this person this like whatever like middle-aged woman or whatever of taking some food in. And so uh you know let her go in and then he like put on a coat to cover up like his uniform went in and sat in the seat next to her and waited for her to pull out her outside concessions, and then pulled out like a flashlight and flashed it on. Wow. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) Which, like, uh, again, like, obviously, he couldn't care less. Uh, Like, you know, it's just sort of like, you know, taking on this duty to spice up your day. Narc. (laughs) All right. So in addition to, 
you know, buying concessions and not and, and also buying concessions. That's that's number two as well. This this is where it really goes off the rails. I believe it or not. <laughs> number three. Be be a human. Here's here's how we save movies. Here's how we get those those sales up. <laughs> Clean up your mess. <laughs> so he goes on to say when exactly did it become the custom for moviegoers, moviegoers to just throw their garbage on the floor and leave it there when they leave the auditorium? A long time ago, and for some reason, everyone thinks that's just what's done now. Never mind that pre-show messages always tell you to throw out your own trash. We know the ushers will be coming through afterwards with brooms and garbage cans, so it seems like we're expected to leave our popcorn tubs and our contraband takeout containers in our seats. He's really har- harping on the outside food. Guess what? Theaters have to spend extra money to pay those cleaning crews to pick up all your mess speedily before the next show. That money has to come from somewhere. Motherfucker, they're sweeping up anyways. That they, they literally yeah. sweep up in between shows. What? That, and that's, uh, that's bullshit. I've never once heard of having to pay ushers more money to clean a theater faster. Yeah, or like, you it's good to get it bad. done or you don't. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also, I think the bigger problem uh, with that is like I like how we're just dissecting some article that this guy was like, "Oh, that's something good." Some uh, asshole, you mean? But, um, but like, I mean, if you start your article talking about the actual market like fluctuation or whatever, like trending in the market, like it's not, it's not, uh, it, it can't really be traced to like cleaning up after your mess. But yeah. I will say, if you're not cleaning up your mess. You should just as like a decent human being, like don't spill your soda. I understand if you got kids and they make a mess, and ushers are there to you know expecting that. Mm-hmm. But like, come on, it's this is this isn't a bullet point, especially when you only have what four or five. Yeah, well, and, and the other thing is too is like you said, like this, it has nothing to do with the entire thrust of the article. Like the, the whole thesis here is how do we improve movie ticket sales in the in the in the coming year. It has nothing to do. I could squeeze off a log on a fucking chair in a movie theater, and it wouldn't affect ticket sales. Okay, it doesn't make a difference. Yeah, and I'm not th- reading this thinking, you know, I'm going to go see Black Panther this February, but I sure. might really enjoy it more if I clean up my trash after the movie's over. Yeah, and if that'll everybody restore around my me, faith in the system. If we all held hands and just cleaned up our popcorn together. I think it's a Jerry Seinfeld routine where he talks yeah. about the expensive cost of concessions, and he he says yeah. it's like it's like an unwritten law. Once the cup is empty, our hand opens go. and we yeah. let it fall. <laughs> I yeah. remember watching that on TV. He did it on a late night show on like Leno or something, and it was his first like comeback. It was like during his comeback, and it was like his first like late night appearance during that comeback. And I thought that bit was hilarious. Um, yeah. I mean, he's just—he was a good comedian, but uh, yeah, he was just like we have a tacit agreement, we have a contract where um, because I paid nine dollars for this, when I'm done with it, I open my hand. (laughs) That's exactly right. Uh, Yeah. Okay. So moving on. So moving on. um, And this is another one where it's just like I don't—I don't see what you're talking about here. But sure. Uh, Number four: Make theaters aware of your concerns. Uh, and he goes on to say, one thing I learned when managing movie theaters is that complaints came mainly from one sort of moviegoer who just liked to complain. White uh, people? And, and most of my colleagues tended to be annoyed by them rather than responsive. But tons of issues I recognized on my own went without direct grievances. 
Some issues were as big as a movie being slightly out of frame or in the wrong lens or a print being scratched. I realized there had to be many silent, dissatisfied folks who either just conceded to an expectation for bad experiences or likely never returned. Yeah, I hate when that happens. Like when, uh, you know, the fucking curtain doesn't open all the way and I'm like, well, I guess I'll never, I'll never go to the movies again. This is appeasing to like my grandparents. Yeah, like yeah. that's the demographic where like, well, I got I got nothing else to complain about, but they they didn't get the framing right last time I went to the movies, so you know I'm not paying five bucks to go see that again. And that's and that's another thing too, where when you're sitting there and like if the movie starts out of focus, and uh, which I think hopefully is less common now that everything's almost entirely digital, but. Um, Everyone is sitting there, and they can see that it's out of focus, but nobody wants to be that person to get up and miss the movie to have to tell somebody that they fucked up their job. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And and I've, I've, I've you know, been the person, like, well, it's, I've only done it when I've, like, known the manager, but, like, been like, yo, uh, there's just, like, some changes, or, like, the sound isn't loud, you know, just thing, and, and I, I, if, I haven't done this in years, but if I did, I was like, you notice it during the previews or whatever, and then they fix it, or, or you know, the doors left open, and then you just walk over and close the door. Um, mm-hmm. And I mean, he's right; you don't have to be a dick about it. But like, this isn't saving movies. That happens like one time out of like, I mean, we go to the movies more than the average person, and this mm-hmm. happens like one time out of a hundred. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd say so. This, I mean, something like a, a major issue where I have to go, you know, find. You know, Johnny Jack asked the usher and be like, yo, dude, fix this shit. Like, that happens maybe once a year to me, at, at the most. It's not a major issue. And most of the time, they're like, oh, shit, sorry. And they just hit a button and they fix it, and it's fine. Uh, but it's This like, article could have been uh, one word, movie pass. Movie pass is the answer. <laughs> yeah. There is yeah. the Easter egg. <laughs> this just feels like five grievances from a disgruntled former theater manager. Uh, but yeah. anyways, is there gonna, anything else on this list? We're going to end on a high note. We're going to end on a high note. Number five. Okay. Lay it on me. And, and this is this is an indictment of all of us, all three of us. We need to be okay. more encouraging. Okay. He says, if everything is a complaint, then truly we're all too focused on the bad stuff about movie going, and uh, that's consuming our experiences. We're not just becoming well. more selfish and discourteous as a whole. We're also becoming more negative. We're more likely to post on Yelp about bad experiences than good ones, for instance. So let's not just complain about moving going experiences all the time. Let's also point out, even if to ourselves, when things are great. I love walking out of a movie theater and just being like, <laughs> hey, Steve, it's Steve. That was fucking great. I have a checklist. <laughs> like, but, maybe, uh, but maybe tell friends. The masking was good? <laughs> Tell the businesses what they're doing well and when they're doing something well, especially alongside a complaint or an issue, because that shows you're invested in care and want the same from them. If theaters are encouraged in the things they get right, they'll be encouraged to do better with things they've gotten wrong. Yeah, like some fucking dickhead at AMC gives a flying fuck what I think. Hey, man, I just wanted to say, you know what? Your seats are marginally comfortable. 
and <laughs> your popcorn was adequately salty. And I just, I just I, thought you should know that. Yeah. Also, I want to go. <laughs> it's cool that you pay, you pay your employees like fucking minimum wage. Uh, that's awesome. You don't offer benefits. Great. Like that's cool. Oh, I got paid under minimum wage when I worked for a cinema. Are you serious? Uh, <laughs> somehow, because I got free movies. That was the loop. That was the loophole. But uh, yeah, next time I want to go. Uh, I want to go up on my way out of the theater. <clears throat> I want to go up to the to the concession uh worker and be like uh uh compliments to the chef on the uh the popcorn tonight um i can <laughs> can they come out can i talk to the <laughs> like i think i, think I mean i assume do. like if you if you're not hearing complaints you can probably assume you're doing an adequate job yeah i mean and that's the thing too when it comes to like the general movie going experience <laughs> The bar of expectations is set reasonably low. Like, I just, you know, mm-hmm. I don't want to spring from the seat to be poking into my asshole. Uh, the popcorn should probably be not stale. That's that's all I got, really. And, you know, yeah. functioning and, projection, that's it. I, yeah, and uh, uh, Jack, OV uh, alum, uh, Jack Eason, has talked about um, how theater lacks in, like, sort of um, giving you a... Uh, more than proficient tech uh, experience from a tech, technological standpoint, um, but <clears throat> I was thinking while I was seeing uh, Fanpoint or Fan Fanpoint Fanpoint. I don't know. I don't know how that came out as Fanpoint Phantom Thread um, today. That like um, honestly, like the big thrust of the movie theaters is seeing it on a huge screen, seeing it in the dark, and seeing it before you can at home. Um, and that's a huge. I mean, that has a lot of cultural cachet uh, for us, and that's really all you need. And then you need to not make the rest of it bad. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I'm not really like going to a movie theater. Like, I I don't like people, so I'm not going to go to <laughs> out of my way to try to engage with any of the staff for a movie for uh, at a movie theater. Because, like you said, I'm paying you know a nominal fee to get in and see this movie, and all the employees there are these teenagers who are working evenings and weekends, and they're being paid minimum wage just to do the the bare minimum, as I think Steve just put. And 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 yeah, I'm not I'm not there for them. I'm not there to buy their wares. I'm just there for the film. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I will I'll ask this on the way out of this discussion. Um, have you guys had bad, bad experiences in 2017 in the last year? Did you guys have any bad, like theater going experiences and what do you attribute them to? I had one and it wasn't the fault of the theaters because some kid was a fucking asshole. Um, there's, uh, the, the Marcus theater around here they they do reserve seating so you know you choose your tickets and shit oh yeah and it was for i I I can't even remember what i was seeing but it was for a sold out show and these kids you know it was for 50 shades darker steve yeah it was for 50 shades darker uh these kids they they bought i don't know what they bought tickets to they bought tickets to something else and they were just like squatting in my seat and and my friend's seat and we were just like uh these aren't yours and they were like Yes, they are. So then it, it just became like a whole like debacle. Posturing. Yeah, basically. <laughs> like they just they wanted like the kid wanted to take the bluff just as far as he could drag it out, basically. Uh, mm-hmm. 
And it just it got to it. the point where yeah, it got to the point where finally he conceded, but it took like fifteen minutes and it was just like I don't want this to be a thing. I don't like. I don't want to talk to the staff and make it a thing. Why does this have to be a thing? Let's just go go sneak into something else. Like, and, and that was annoying. Uh, but other yeah. than that, I mean, and, but that's not the fault of the theater, and it, it hasn't obviously hasn't soured me on the theater going experience. It's just uh, it's the universal truth that teenagers are fucking assholes. I would have done the same thing when I was sixteen. So I right, understand. Yeah. So it's fine. It's whatever. It's not the end of the yeah. world. Yeah. Honestly, I think, uh, I mean, based on my only negative experience, like, uh, so, um, I went to see it and by myself and there was like a group of teens, uh, a couple seats down and the one on the end that was next to me was, um, literally refreshing Instagram, uh, like without exaggeration, at least a hundred times during this uh nice. ungodly length of a movie classic um, teen move and 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 that was really distracting and it took me out of it but i uh, honestly i could have moved like there were plenty of empty seats but i just like you know out of just social anxiety don't want to be like the guy who's like moving around but i could have when i saw when i went to see only the brave uh there was like barely anybody in the theater and there was a couple sitting close enough to me where you know and they were talking a lot and i didn't want to be i didn't want to be distracted so i just moved up a couple rows and it was perfectly fine i could have done that during it but i just didn't feel like doing that in front of people um that's more often than not a solution to these problems i understand if you know there's been bad situations but like if you, you can't attribute that to like declining viewership it obviously has more to do with with disposable income yeah, my That's only okay. bad experience that I can recall, and I was a hard, having a hard time doing so, and then I remembered because it happened at the beginning of the year, was um, I, we saw a split in January, and um, that was just an obnoxiously rowdy cloud, crowd of um, kids in there, because it's a PG-13 movie, and, uh, or at least I think it was, and... Um, and like I, I, I like at one point I even had to turn around and shush some kids behind me, and I never <laughs> engaged that much. And then yeah, and then I think one of them called me the N word for some reason. What? <laughs> That's bold. Did you I do said, the? I did. I did. I did the half turn. Yes. And then I did the full turn a few minutes later. <laughs> I tried to do the half turn recently. It doesn't work. Yeah. No. <laughs> You gotta like at least look at them with the corner of your eye, dude. I bet that end bomb <laughs> shut you up. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Oh my God! Uh, that that's intense. Well, guys, yeah. since since movie going is dead, the theater is dead, and it will continue to die because we didn't buy enough popcorn, and we brought in <laughs> uh, you know we brought in our box of Junior Mints that we bought at Walgreens. Uh, we're gonna have to turn to television, which is totally fine with me, <laughs> because. You know, people people are always talking about they're saying, oh, you know, peak TV and there's all this prestige television and what's HBO putting out? No, 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 no. Fuck HBO. You need to turn on Fox on Wednesday nights. Uh, let's talk about a show called 911. And now maybe this is a bit bold of me, but I'm willing to say that the numbers 9-1-1 and 1 in succession have never meant more to America than they do right now. Because this show is on the air, uh, have have you guys watched nine one one on Fox yet? Uh, my family used to watch Rescue nine one one every Sunday with William Shatner. 
Yes. This is this is probably better than Rescue 911, which, by the way, is just like PG family friendly cops. So fuck you. It is. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen. Uh, so yeah, I've seen all three episodes that are available on Hulu. So, if people haven't, if if you haven't seen 911, which why should you? It looks like a generic like, you know, police procedural drama, whatever. First responders, yada yada, America, etc. And it is all those things. But television has now gotten to a point where I, I don't know how this got greenlit, but God bless it. Because it is very serious actors doing very serious acting, but with the dumbest script imaginable. So the only thing that I can compare it to is it's like a family-friendly version of the movie Final Flesh. Have you, have you ever seen Final Flesh, guys? Are you familiar with this? Uh, no, I'm not. So the guy who, his name is Vernon Chapman, and he wrote uh, Wonder Showsen and Xander Renegade Angel and a few other like Adult Swim type shows. But he made this movie called Final Flesh where he wrote like a, a David Lynch-esque art film script. And then he found these companies online. Uh, they're like porn companies. And they will make the porn of your dreams. You just pay them like X amount of dollars and give them a script. So he gave <clears> them this like art film script without any sex in it. And then he took the footage that these companies gave back to him and he made it into a movie. And that's what this feels like. It's people taking material very seriously when the material itself is the dumbest shit imaginable. And when I say that, I say that without hyperbole because no matter how stupid of a fucking thing you could possibly think of, this show goes, oh, no, I've got something dumber for you. And it, it, it's constantly raising the bar. So, Jake, what, what was your experience watching 911, other than, you know, finally watching it after me badgering you relentlessly? Um, well, what uh, prompted me to finally sit down and watch it was I saw some screen caps on Twitter of a, uh, a bouncy house um, getting blown away from this birthday party. And the screen cap included, like, whenever there's a situation in the show, it, it has, like, a, it cuts to, like, a, a sound bar wave line uh, with the 911 text, like you see on the news over it. And the screen cap said, our bouncy house flew away with our kids inside of it. <laughs> so I was like, so okay, nice. I need to watch this. And, yeah, it, it, this, like, you described it perfectly. This is, like, actors performing so seriously, and they're taking these roles so earnestly and playing it so straight, but the situations are all these insanely ridiculous, larger-than-life, like, like death scenarios that everyone is being thrust into. Like, like, just imagine if, like, every crime scene was, like, the end of a Final Destination movie, and they send in these straight-laced heroes to clean up the mess. That's essentially what um, the, how overcooked the show is. It's it's incredible, and and the fact that like in the first episode alone, this th they lead with this crisis. Someone yeah. flushed a fucking baby down the toilet, and the yeah. baby is trapped in the wall. The premature baby was flushed out of toilet, and it's stuck in the wall. And that's 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 how we start. That's where the show decides. Like, how do you how do you even begin like that? It's amazing because there's no like it doesn't go for emotional payoff at all. It's just like here's this insane scenario, and then also we're gonna have a serious dramatic moment right after that. And it's it has the most jarring tone shifts I have ever experienced, and I am completely in love with this with this uh, TV show. 
Oh yeah, it totally goes for it too. Um, it's worth noting that the baby. So the baby is called the in by this stoner guy. He's in his apartment and he says, "I hear a baby in the walls. Somebody flushed a baby down the toilet." Which I don't even know how many drugs you have to be on to think that's possible. But uh, and I'm, I, he's not here, but I'm going to include him anyway. Our, our uh, colleague Adam was sen- saying, uh, "Baby in the toilet, huh? This has to be a misdirect." <laughs> and then a few minutes later, they cut a baby out of the pipe and it survives. And Adam says, it was not a misdirect. What the fuck am I watching? <laughs> and that, that's exactly it. That's this whole show. Is you're like, oh, no, they're not going to do that. This has got to wow. be something. Nope, it's not. It's, it's super some, earnest. Like, I would have thought, oh, the walls of the apartment are paper thin and somebody's baby is just crying next door. No, they full on tear out the wall, cut out a section of pipe and lube a baby out of it. Yeah, I was I was watching this. Uh, I, That's fucking crazy. Let, let me let me tell you what a good date night sounds like, Jake. If you're if you're ever you know looking to really impress your lady, uh, I, yeah. I had a I had a girl over at my apartment, and I was just like, hey, you got to watch this show. It's really fucking weird. So I put on the first episode of nine one one, and she literally like stood up and like just like put her hands out at the TV. It was just like, what the fuck? Like when they were just like, when they shot the baby out of the tube to get it out of the pipe. <laughs> it is, it is the most perfect thing ever. Yeah. I know. I have watched a bit of this with Casey and she has, um, dismissed it as just completely stupid. And part of her problem is, and one of my issues with it is that, uh, all of the, the main characters. So, um, Sean, I don't know if you're, how familiar you are with the show, but uh, Los Angeles' fire department is only made up of six people, and uh, they have to handle all the issues in L.A. and uh, and they're all these people with their with troubled and difficult and haunting pasts. Like uh, uh, our main guy, I guess Peter Krause, uh, six feet under fame. He's a recovering alcoholic who is turned to the Bible for uh, Adam Braverman. Yeah. See now, Adam Braverman sounds like a name of a generic fireman. To which I say only the Braverman. Yeah. Anyways, uh, then there, you got you got this kid Buck. He's a new recruit, and he's a, this completely unhinged, unprofessional sex maniac who uh, takes the fire truck out for a spin so he can get laid. That happens. Uh, then there's uh, Kenneth Choi. Is this guy named Chimney, and he's upset because he's uh, is. Duties are often relegated to the less cool shit on the scene, like operating a winch when they're reeling in the kids who fell off the cliff in the bounce house. Uh, in episode three, he gets a pipe through his skull, and uh, we're theorizing he may come back as a Phineas Gage character. Uh, then you got Connie Britton. She's a 911 operator, and she de- deals with her mom who's living at home with Alzheimer's. Oh, my God. And, yeah. <laughs> can I say something really quick about Connie Britton's you character? sure can. Go ahead. So this is this is how baller the show is, and how you know, like from the get go, that's something special. When in the very first episode, the pilot episode, they're they're like introducing the show or whatever, and Connie Britton's character is like, "Hi, I'm so and so, and every day I have to answer nine one one calls, and oh. every nine one one call is different because nine one one means something different to everyone. My nine one one is my mom, and then it just shows this lady with Alzheimer's. She's like, I'm locked in the bathroom." That's how it starts. It's like, what the fuck? Your nine one one is your your mom has dementia. That's not. That's not what that means. Yeah, it's just, and it's like this, like very bad, like attempts at 
poetic dialogue like the at the very end of that pilot episode she's like her voiceover comes back and she's saying we all try to swim in the pain of life without getting wet but we know we can never succeed that way and like god shut up and and lastly uh there's angela bassett she's a she plays a police officer who's a husband of about 15 years or so has just come out as a gay man Mm -hmm. and so now her kids are upset yeah which by the way they'll be picked on at school in a, in a cast of people who are trying very hard, Angela Bassett tries the hardest. She really, like, every time oh. she's on screen, she's just, like, gunning for an Emmy. And it's awesome. Because the lines that they give her are just the dumbest shit imaginable. <laughs> I just, I, I love the show so much. Listen to me. Yeah. If your name is Sean Glynis... Or if you're just some random person who is listening to this show, the one thing, if I can impress one thing upon you, okay, one thing, you don't have to like me or my opinions on anything else or listen to me for any, any recommendation I ever give you ever again. For the love of God, watch this show. 911 is, it is transcendent. This is like the closest you will get to like a Tommy Wiseau, Neil Breen level of stupid on network television, and it is fucking glorious, and you need to see it. Yeah. And and another thing, too, we noted uh, off mic, um, none of these so-called firemen are ever seen putting out any fires. They're all essentially rescuing people who are dangling precariously from high places. <laughs> like, episode two opens with a fat guy getting into a roller coaster. Because he's so fat, the bar doesn't engage all the way, and it pops open, and his buddy flies out and hits the ground and dies. And then we cut to uh, the roller coaster shut down when it's on, upside down on a loop, and this fat guy is just hanging off of it. And they're trying to get their ladder up to fix to save him. <laughs> it's so this beautiful. It's the kind of shit in the show that you're dealing with here. And honestly, like... Our descriptions, it doesn't do it justice. You just you have to experience it. It's something that needs to be experienced. Wednesday no, nights yeah. on Fox or uh, streaming on Hulu, whatever you got to do. Go steal your grandma's fucking Hulu password. Watch this shit. It's important. Your grandmother who has Alzheimer's. Yeah, she's my 911. Today, <laughs> I made chicken fingers for dinner, but I left them in the oven for too long and the bottoms burned. That's my 911. <laughs> Sean, are you going to watch this show? Uh, yeah, I can't wait for this podcast to end so I can start. Good. Well, hey, Sean. That's the spirit. I'm, I'm glad you said that, buddy. Uh, what are you putting over tonight? Oh, boy. Um, <clears throat> I watched a movie recently by the Finnish filmmaker Aki Korsmaki. Um, he's sort of uh, a legend. Um, he's been working for a few decades um, and I recently watched uh, his movie from 2011 called La Havre. I assume it's pronounced. Um, it's about a little French town uh, spelled H-A-V-E-R-E. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it uh, it's not dissimilar in plot from Paddington, but it just is about this old man who's a shoe shiner in this small French village. And he um, comes into contact with this um, this immigrant. I think he might be from Senegal. I can't remember exactly, but um, 
anyway, he he just kind of like takes this this boy under his wing uh, to protect him, and uh, the community helps him uh, do so under the nose of uh, the, uh, the 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 policeman. Um, but it's it's just like this really quietly brilliant movie um about optimism and the power of of caring for people who need care um and it's uh the acting is really interesting um it, it, it's really kind of like stilted but um has this really it, it's sort of like it has that brisonian acting but instead of being really cold it's it's almost like absurd um and it has this really weird uh, lighting where you can't really tell if like a, pl- a ton of shots in this look like they could be from like 1960s or 1950s, like Douglas Sirk movies, like this really high lighting and uh, bare bones, um, uh, just like wall of uh, tons of like bright wallpaper shots. And um, I don't know. Anyway, it's just this really beautiful movie. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it it's it'll it'll warm your heart and uh it's lovely. All right, Jake, what are you putting over tonight? So I'm going to just a note I do want to check out Karazmaki's work this year, so I'm looking forward to that, Sean. Um but I'm going to put over a film I rewatched uh for the first time in several years recently uh, and I did so because uh, I was prompted by the death of the Cranberries lead singer Dolores O'Riordan and um so the film I'm putting over is Chunking Express uh, by Wong Kar Wai, 1994. Um, tells the story of uh, these two cops um, basically just trying to find love. And uh, it's a very remarkable film and one that I like. kind of just watch and I, I just want to sort of um, share all these great feelings that it gives me. And I can't really articulate in any sort of intellectual sense as to why it works or what it is that it does that makes it work so well. But it's a shot by Christopher Doyle. It's a very beautifully composed um, film of these two stories. And, uh, and if you like, um, if you like California dreaming by the mamas and the papas, uh, get ready to hear it a lot because it plays about seven or eight times in the back half of the film. But um, yeah, chunking express. I think it's a, a remarkable small film. That's something of a masterpiece. Yeah, I I recently watched it too. I think we watched it within like 24 hours of of each other, if not in the same night. But um, all right, yeah. Uh, and it's always been one of my favorite movies. And rewatching it, this was the first time I had rewatched it uh, by myself uh, in a very long time, and which ended up making a difference. Uh, I just kind of like. I couldn't stop myself from just like tearing up from just like pure joy from what I was watching. Um, it was, it, it was just a really great experience. And, um, but I, I've also, uh, in hearing other people who have watched it recently, their reactions, like, um, it's apparently not for everybody or, I mean, I, I think <clears throat> kind of like what Jake was saying, where it's, it's hard to intellectualize about, um, it is very much about tone and, that either works for you and or it doesn't and if it doesn't there is it's uh, from from what i see like if if that tone doesn't totally win you over then it's just kind of like ah eh, this is this is whatever this is fine but yeah. um definitely for me it's 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 in that camp where it just sort of like really lights me up 
Yeah, I agree. And if if yeah. you don't find um, Fei Wong breaking into Tony Leung's apartment, the most romantic thing ever, um, then uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what to tell you. Exactly. Yeah. Well, guys, uh, this evening I want to put over uh, my number one boy. Uh, he's a certified G and a bona fide stud. And he's my favorite personality on Twitter.com. Uh, that's, of course, David Ehrlichs. Make sure you, you follow him on Twitter. <laughs> and love, his, love his hot takes. No, but for real, uh, I'd like to put over smoking a ton of weed and watching Liquid Sky, which was recently <laughs> released by... What is it, Liquid Sky? Liquid ah, Sky. I've uh, seen this. It is a really, really weird like avant-garde early 80s movie that was made by some Russian dude. And it is ostensibly about a woman who's like a fashion model and she's kind of addicted to drugs. And then at some point, aliens invade and anybody that she fucks, the aliens like kill. And it's, it's a whole thing. Uh, but it's just one of the most visually just ridiculous things you've ever seen. It, if you had to choose one movie that just exemplified everything that you associated with the 1980s but just cranked up to 11 uh, liquid sky is it it's just like a, a neon fever dream essentially uh so d- yeah huh. definitely do that jake are, would you would you also agree thumbs up for liquid sky i would say um uh, a very qualified thumbs up um like i guess chunking express this movie's certainly not for anyone and oh. probably for less people um, the uh, the soundtrack is an onslaught of Carnival Nintendo nightmares. Yeah, but um, as a very very bizarre and strange and singular piece of work, uh, of I highly recommend it. And the the recent Blu-ray restoration, um, I mean, this is my first time seeing the movie, but it just looks absolutely fantastic on yeah. Blu-ray. That's a beautiful movie for sure. For yeah. Sure. All right, guys. Uh, well, we're going to wrap things up. Thank you again for being on the show tonight. Uh, skeleton crew, but we did it. Fuck Myros. We don't need him. Fuck Jack. Uh, <laughs> actually, don't fuck Jack. Jack, go visit your family in Ireland. Bring me back some buck fast, man. Come on. I need that, I need that bucky. Anyways, uh, if, if you like the podcast, make sure that you... Can... Eric comes out unscathed. Yeah. And Eric Steve. is fine. Fancy New York boy. I'll, I'll, I'll lay off him today. I always feel bad when Eric's on because inevitably he'll say something like really smart and I'll be like, <laughs> fucking New York boy. <laughs> I, we love you, Eric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, if you like the podcast, click the link in the description. That'll take you to our iTunes page. When you go to our iTunes page, please rate and review the show. When you rate and review the show, that helps our visibility. The more visibility we have, the more content that we can create for you. So give us that five-star written review. That'll help us immensely. You can tweet at us at Optimism Vaccine. You can email us. If you have any questions, comments, thoughts on the show? Uh, you got ideas for us? Uh, if you want to, you know, maybe pitch in to mm, say mail Adam Myros a live scorpion. OptimismVaccine at gmail dot com for all your scorpion needs. For me, if you want to tweet at me uh, at Steve Cuff, that's at Steve C U F F. Sean, where can people find you on Twitter? At Mister Glynis. Fabulous, Jake. Where do we find you at? At Jake Tropila, T-R-O-P-I-L-A. Wonderful. Gentlemen, thank you as always, and uh, we'll see you next time, all right?